date to your potential, inspiring, educating, and empowering single members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Our hosts are Peggy Matheson, betrayal trauma recovery expert, and Sharon Collier, certified life and relationship coach. episode 56 and I have with me a friend Jacob Hess that I met years ago um, at a organization or a gathering called circling the wagons which had to do with my past life and my ex-husband and then I was so fascinated with what he did at the time and his trying to bring people together to have important conversations people that disagree with one another and uh, so, Jacob, welcome. Thank you for coming. And then I'm going to tell everybody a little bit more about you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I've been. Thanks for your patience as well. Oh, no problem. Okay. So, Jacob is a mindfulness teacher and author of 14 peer-reviewed articles and four books, including The Power of Stillness, Mindful Living for Latter-day Saints, um, you're not as crazy as I thought, but you're still wrong. And once upon a time, he wasn't feeling it anymore. That sounds very interesting. So Jacob was on the board of the National Coalition of Dialogue and Deliberation and still believes that people can disagree deeply without thinking the other is Hitler or the devil. Wow, we need you in this world, Jacob. <laughs> so he is a contributing editor editor at Deseret News and writes weekly at Publish Peace, P-E-A-C-E, PublishedPeace.net. He lives in Paradise, Utah with his wife, Monique, five rambunctious kids, and 20 chickens. <laughs> I love it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, so back in 2018, you wrote an article that caught my eye. And it's kind of like the story of love that we're all in love with is kind of what it was. Will you tell me a little bit about that and why you wrote that article? And I think it's so important that we talk a little bit about, I don't know, self-deception. Is that part of what it was about? <laughs> yeah, I think um, some of these conversations can feel scary to people, almost as if we're challenging the idea of romance. So I want to just preface with reassurance <laughs> to all those who love the chick flicks, which is most people. <laughs> and Hallmark movies. <laughs> and Hallmark movies. Romance is beautiful. It, I, it's a, almost a sacred thing, like a gift from God, the giddy excitement of two people who meet, whether they're in high school or later on. There's something very divine about it. And like everything else in our world that is sacred and beautiful, it gets perverted and bastardized and turned into something else and stamped on. Mm, no kidding. By, by the world around us. So I'm interested in this topic because of witnessing this beautiful thing getting hijacked. The, the, the possibilities of of really gorgeous futures between two people getting taken over. I see this happening with people who are married. I see it happening with people who are dating, 
who think they have something, and then, and then a hijack happens. Tell me about the hijack. What's this hijack? Well, uh, so so think about two people that you thought were amazing, breaking up, right, or or getting a divorce. What what do we say about it? We say it must not have been right. You know, it just they, they they must not have been right. We kind of write it off. That never felt enough to me. Now, clearly, sometimes it's true. Sometimes, like, not only, you know, are there fundamental incompatibility things, but there's sometimes abuse and really horrible things that should never be tolerated in any relationship. Um, ongoing active addictions, for instance. Um but it, that, it always seemed to me that there was something more to the story. So I started interviewing my, my friends and any oh. singles I could find and, like, trying to understand what the heck was happening. What, why are so many relationships that seem like they're going well just getting hijacked? And something kept coming up over and over. I'm getting to your first question here, finally. I kept hearing this. Oh, we, we were really, I was excited about her. I really just thought she was everything. And then the feelings d- d- decreased and they, and, and they settled down and, and we broke up. Over and over I heard not just men, but women. So it was the feelings that went away. Well, describing this exciting feeling that they had at one time. And then how it just stopped. Or it went away or it dissipated. And when it stopped, they almost all came to the conclusion, conclusion that they no longer loved this person, right? When the feeling was there, they were excited that this, this person was filling their, uh, a need in their life and they were getting something important out of it. When the feeling went away, see you later. Now, so this was with people who are dating and people who have been married? Mostly my interviews are focused on singles. Got it. But okay. I saw the same thing happening in marriage with a lot more complexity. And I just started to get intrigued. What is going on here? And that's what led me to getting interested in the story and narrative of romance that appeared to be operative. It appeared to be like playing out. Because, you know, when you watch the chick flick romances, it's like, we love, you know, the, 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 the music goes on and you can tell they're feeling it and we, we know they like each other and so therefore they love each other. That makes sense. But does it make sense to you that if for whatever reason the feeling settles, therefore they don't love each other anymore? That That's like, what's going on there, right? So as I started to research more, it's really clear that there is a way of thinking about romance that says, well, let me back up and say, there's different ways of thinking about romance. One of which says the way that you know you really love somebody is this thing takes over you. <laughs> it's immediate. If it's not immediate, that's a problem. It's you like know? love at first sight. It's supposed to be immediate and intense. If, it, if it's growing gradually, that's a problem. You know? <laughs> According to this perspective, it's immediate and it consumes your whole soul. So listen to this quote. I pulled this up. This is in my book and I'll, I'll share a link. I've got a, I've got a book out there on this called uh, Once Upon a Time, He Wasn't Feeling It Anymore. Right. <laughs> and so this, um, it was 
it was Rousseau, who was a French philosopher, who first asserted that a single human being could be experienced as embodying the greatest good and be worthy of the sort of love that was formerly reserved for God. So I say a lot about this in, in the book, but basically this story of romance, this narrative is that you know you're truly in love when it's it's immediate, it's overpowering, and this person fills every need you have, right? Now what 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 this person is saying is that used to be something we only put on God. God fulfills all our needs. But over the last couple of centuries, as societies become more secular, I cite another historian who says that we've come to kind of replace God with romance. And so this romance thing, it's like a transcendent experience. Wow. We, 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 and it fills us, right? Wow, it's like, a, um, like an idol. Yeah. Like a modern day yeah, idol. Yeah. And, and this person, we, you worship, you worship their body, their mind, their heart. And, and we joke about this. It's the it's the high school infatu- infatuation. And we talk about that. But I don't think it's just a joke. I think we really believe that this is how it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. If it's true, if it's right, you're supposed to feel this immediately. And then it's supposed to continue fairly constantly and if it drops off watch out right and this is what i saw this is so this is my explanation for what i saw is these people didn't suddenly just realize that the person wasn't right for them no no no. i don't i don't think that's what happened i think what happened is they had downloaded a story of romance just like we download all sorts of things on our computers we buy into buy into it that we believe it this is what true love is and then they find somebody, they get excited. And then when the excitement fades or goes away, we all know how the script is. You, you, you just read the script in the movie. Well, bye. I'm not even going to call you again. Right? <laughs> right. Now, I've done, like, this was my life, too. Amazing people, beautiful people. And when the feeling went away, uh, thinking of uh, several people that I dated, I just didn't know what else to do. You just, like, have to say goodbye. So that's the story. And the uh, implication, one thing that needs to be said is no real relationship can survive that story. Not even Brad and Angelina, these demigods of celebrities, right? Anyone who really believes that story, your relationship is in danger. Hmm. There's just no way... A real relationship between two human beings is going to survive that because, like, there's so many things that go into that those feelings. Like, you get out on the antidepressant, it's going to impact the feeling. You go through some trauma, it's going to impact the feeling. Pre- you know, pregnancy. Da 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 da. There's so many reasons, including just a natural settling of the feeling that happens in established couples. Yeah. That is normal and natural. Right. But if you have that story, good luck. <laughs> it's going to be tough if you buy into that. Yeah. You know, we we have in previous episodes, we've talked about love chemicals. And 
um, that there are certain chemicals that go off in the body when you're in love, when you feel that love in that first 30 days and that first 90 days and all of that. So, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, are you talking about people who've been together longer than that? Are you talking about short-term relationships? Or did you interview people that have been, like, dating for a long period of time? I just talked to anybody I could. So, um... Because I think, because we talk about the love chemicals and that you've got to move through that in order to get to, you know, to where the kind of settle into the relationship and see what it really is. That's right. Because if you jump into a marriage based just on that, you could be making a really big mistake. Unwise decision. Yeah, unwise decision. So this is where the alternative story comes into play. So what is what is a, a, a view of romance that's more healthy and truthful? Scott Peck um, writes in his book, The Road Less Traveled. He's it's one of the most famous um, psychology books ever. He writes that this infatuation is the trick that mother nature plays on us to get us together. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, you know, it does get people together. Um, But when it fades, that very moment that is scary and it's like, oh no, oh no, you know, whether, whether when you're dating or after you're married, like, oh no, it's gone away. He says that um, that is the moment at which you can begin to practice true love. Because before it starts to settle, let's say settle, because you want always want to kind of cultivate some sure. interest between you. You know, It's not like it goes away forever, but before it settles, you're kind of, in the, you're kind of getting from the relationship what you want, and you can very much be self-centered. Mm. When you're in an infatuated state, if that's all it is... It's about you, hmm. yeah. not necessarily the other person. But when the feelings settle, his argument is in that moment, we can actually start to consciously choose to be there for the other person. And to really love the other person. Just like President Hinckley said years ago, like true love is about you know being there for the interests and concerns of your partner. You know, That certainly can happen when you're infatuated, but it's kind of like... You're getting so much chemically and emotionally and and physically that you're, you know, it can be about you. Mm -hmm. When the feelings settle, you have to consciously choose to practice love and to exercise love. And I love, uh, in the book I cite people, you can think about love as kind of a Zen practice and a craft where where you're continuing to get better and better at it. And this goes along much better with the Christian view of love, that we are learning to receive this gift, this beautiful gift of how to show love to my wife at home who's been so patient with me, how I can show love for her as the daughter of God she is. And, you know, that's been a, it's been a work in progress for me and for it's all of us. It's a journey. Yeah. It's a journey to expand ourselves to be to have the capacity to really love yeah. and receive love. That's right. So I was interested too about this article that you wrote. You talked about how marriage has not been for centuries it's not been about love. What has it been about? <laughs> and why have we made it about romantic love? Well, 
I think it's a good thing that marriage is about love to some degree. You know, like we're we're, we're glad that we're not just told by some fiefdom to go off and marry this person because it's politically convenient to the family. But here's another quote from Stephanie Kuntz, who's a historian. Never before in history had societies thought that such a high, a set of high expectations for marriage was either realistic or desirable. She says, we're the only culture in history that has come to expect the presence of this intense feeling all the time as the basis of our marriage and love relationships. That's kind of what you're getting right. at. So, so, so like, uh, if we're always checking the temperature of our marriage based on like how intense our hypersexual uh, arousal for each other is, like, oh my goodness, what torture that would be. If, if it's not built on a deeper foundation than, than how hot and heavy we're feeling for each other, how much romantic, you know, magic there is in the air. That's just not, it's not a healthy view of love and it's not a Christian view of love. It's, it's just, it's almost like an inversion of charity. Hmm. Instead of charity suffers long and, and, and endures, it's like in this other view of love, you, you're gone. You're not suffering through anything. It's like if your needs aren't being met, just leave a note on the table, you know? And walk away. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and that's what, what sometimes is presented in Hollywood, too. So you don't always see great examples of this. One of my favorite examples, if you want to watch a movie that demonstrates this, is called The Painted Veil. It's a gorgeous film. I've never heard of it. Uh, it's... it's, it's um, the Painted Veil. It's, it's a story that kind of demonstrates the kind... You know, this couple... It starts off with a couple that's really struggling and... Um, there is a moment. Well, I'm not. I'm not going to give it away. There is a moment that. Um, <laughs> I can't get Trust me, it's worth worth watching. Worth watching. So yeah. it's going to give us a, a kind a little, of a a little portrait view, of a portrait this. of yeah. what a real marriage. What real love is. What real yeah. love is. So this painted veil. The painted veil. How old is it? How long has it been around? Mm, I mean, probably is it fifteen years or something? Okay. Yeah. All right. So it's not like classic movies but yeah, it's yeah. been around for a little while yeah. okay because i think i'd like to go look at that and see for myself so some of the work that you do i've i've read a lot of your well not a lot i mean you've written a lot but i've read some of your your writings and your articles and i love that you are really usually you just i mean always everything i've read of yours you point out the, the deception in the piece that's not being looked at, the part that's not being seen, that, you know, you just don't, it doesn't feel right, something's not right, and you are very good at articulating and taking the darkness away and shedding light on what's really being, what's really happening mm-hmm. here. And that's one of the things I, I love about your work mm-hmm. is that you're really shining light on the deceptiveness in our world. Thank you. And um, you you also have been working with depression a lot and writing about it and exploring that. Tell me why that's important to you and what do you think what do you think's happening with all of that? Because there's a lot going on right now. Yeah, and there are um, yeah, there's so many people hurting. It was witnessing the pain that initially got me into it. 
But more than that, it was witnessing people who were intensely hurting emotionally, being told by someone who was very well-intentioned, being told that this pain is a reflection of something that is wrong in your body and will probably be a lifelong thing you need to face. Um, now we'll, we'll help you manage it, we'll help you cope with it, but this will probably be your life. You know, you'll face this just like diabetes. Now, if this is what the science said about depression, then we should tell people that, Peggy. We should just be honest and say, this is, look, this is the evidence. But that is so far from what modern-day research says about the nature and trajectory of depression that it, I find it discouraging that so many people have been told this kind of thing. I, I, I spoke to one young woman, 20-something, who said her suicidal thoughts started the same day her doctor told her her depression would be lifelong. Wow. That's when she started to consider ending her life. Now, this doctor surely didn't think, hey, I'm going to try to make this girl more depressed by telling her. The doctor really thought this was true, right? So what I've tried to do is, is again, there's a way of thinking about depression, a story about depression out there that people hear. And it's like, it, go, it goes something like this. Well, if you're depressed, you just have a certain kind of brain that's just not working. And uh, uh, your life is going to be a certain way, and it'll, it'll be hard, but we can help you cope and manage it with the right treatment. Um, this is not a scientific story, Peggy. It's not. Nor is it a, a, a story that reflects the hope of the gospel. The hmm. gospel is all about uh, transformation and healing and miracles and hope. This is a hopeless story. And it's a despairing story. So I've written about the depressing story about depression. So what is the other way to think about depression? Well, I, I really think this represents the best research. Number one, there are hundreds of things that contribute to our emotional state. Literally hundreds. There's no, it's not one single thing, right? Mm -hmm. Lots of things. I mean, like small things like living really close to a freeway and breathing in certain kind of fumes for over time. Every mental health issue is connected to that. A little. Just a little. Not getting enough sunlight shows up over and over in studies, right? Getting to bed late. There's, there's research out of, uh, out of uh, one of the Ivy League schools that shows even getting to bed half an hour earlier at night lowers your risk of depression like measurably, like significantly. Just like a little lower, you know? Now, I, like most good Latter-day Saints, love my sugar because we don't have alcohol, so we, 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 we need something, right? <laughs> but eating a ton of sugar, you know? So uh, what I'm saying is lots and lots and lots of things are connected to it. That's good news because it means there's a lot we can do about it. And the best evidence suggests that if you start to adjust uh different areas of your lifestyle and let the spirit guide you, you know, like there's a, there's a lot of different options and move your lifestyle in a different direction. Start to build a life that is, um, that is different over time. That depression can decrease, 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 and even uh, abate. So, um, and I mean, 
long-term, people with long-term healing. We've gathered as many stories as we can find of people who have actually had lasting healing from depression. And this is what they do. They make little changes they, in different areas of their life. They change their life. They learn and they grow. And, and, and they do it with a mind of like, hey, you know, there's hope. Oh, by the way, they, all, they also have hope that things can be different. If you've That's given, huge. If you've given up hope and it's like, this is just who I am. This is just what my brain is. This is how my life is. Well, you know, unsurprisingly, uh, you know, that's probably going to move you in this direction. I've had one person said, exercise is not going to make a difference for me. I have a chemical Im- imbalance in my brain, right? Yeah, but exercise changes the chemicals Absolutely. in the body. Absolutely. Exercise changes <laughs> everything. But, but the point is, this person had a story about depression that led them to do, you know, to, to feel kind of like, what's the point of making any changes? The people that actually get better have hope that things can, can improve. They make changes. Not just, I'm not just talking about diet and exercise and uh, sleep, you know, the big three. I'm also talking about mental diet, mental activity. What are we taking into our brains? I tease my dad because he, he likes to watch the news right before bed. You know, like right before he goes into the dream world. Let's check out all the murders, rapes, all the terrible things that happen on, in wars right before bed. That's, that's like terrible. So bad. <laughs> so I like to quarantine my news right in the middle of the day, like quarantine it. And then you're not, not on social media right before bed. Let the morning be for God. Let the evening be for people I care about. This is a change I've made in my life, mm. and it's, 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 it's helped, right? Um, so there's all, all so many things we can do that will move us in the right direction. Learning to relate to our thoughts. We can go into mindfulness, learning to relate to our yeah. thoughts and feelings differently. Maybe we, maybe yeah, I would like topic. to do that because um, mindfulness and dating, I think, is a, is a big deal. And I like, like kind of the theme, what we're talking about. There's some stories out there that aren't really true that we're kind of buying into, right? Yeah. And they, they're kind of hopeless. They kind of lead us down a path that's not really truth, not really grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's talk about that when it comes to mindfulness or our thoughts and the beliefs that we carry when we're dating, when we're looking for our one and only, or just dating and trying to figure out where we fit in the world, you know, or what our next steps are. Yeah. So I think I'm going to talk about both depression and dating and probably think those (laughs) topics are the same thing. Some people do. You know what? It is very stressful. (laughs) It can be very stressful dating. I've heard more than, I've heard many people talk about it. So, um, It is one of the things that people do who find lasting healing from depression is they learn to relate to their mind and their emotions differently. So my sister, um, one of my friends, um, before her life ended, um, had thoughts of suicide all the time, all the time. Like some, sometimes the, uh, this can just be re- relentless. And usually we just relate to the thoughts in our head as reality. Mm-hmm. If we have thoughts or feelings, it's just, it's our life. It's who we are. Mm-hmm. It's our identity. Right. And that perspective is so 
constraining. It, 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 it hurts us. And, and actually, the Buddha used to teach that if we identify as our thoughts with all whatever's happening, it causes suffering. So what mindfulness suggests is not that we certainly, suddenly turn to Pollyanna, like, let's just think happy thoughts. No. <clears throat> it actually says we can push back and relate to our feelings and our thoughts as mental content, things that are passing through, mm-hmm. kind of like a tea kettle where you, like, you see the things, the bubbles coming up off of it, right? And it's always coming up. Stuff bubbles up. Right. Feelings bubble up. Thoughts bubble up. But it, it's, it's just it's thoughts. And right. It's just feelings. Right. And it may, it may mean nothing about who we are. That's right. It may mean nothing about uh, our life, our future, or maybe it does. But the point is, you can choose. Right. What do these things mean? I'm having all these thoughts, you know, like. Where's ins- this coming from? What does, let's say you have thoughts. Yeah, let's say you have thoughts that you're a terrible person, you're awful, you're ugly. By the way, 90% of women in surveys all around the world say that they feel they're ugly. This is crazy. Wow. This is because this is natural. This is natural. No. Little girls don't grow up and look in the mirror and say, "I'm ugly." Like, like we're teaching women, especially, to see themselves a certain way. So, let's say you have certain thoughts about yourself that are just you're loathing yourself, or like, "My life is terrible." Well, push back on those and say, "Where are those coming from? Mm-hmm. Who, who would want me to believe this?" Right. And, and what, what should my relationship to this be, right? John Kabat-Zinn, who's one of the most brilliant mindfulness teachers in America, he suggests that people label thoughts like that. He says, call it the propaganda of depression. There it goes again. There's the propaganda of depression. And then you don't have to be swept away in it. You're just like, there it is again, you know, or, or anxiety. You know, a lot of people are struggling with anxiety. Fearful, dark, suspicious, scary thoughts. Oh, there it goes again. There, there it is again. It's like a soundtrack. You know? Yeah. It's like the, when a song comes to your mind and it drives you right. crazy. Like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That there song it is. Again. Yeah. There it is again. But you don't have to wrestle it away. You don't have to force it away. Just notice. There it is. And and redirect your mind where you want it to go. Bring uh, uh, direct your attention to where what you would like. Now, now, this takes practice, I'm guessing. Ton, tons of yeah. practice. In fact, if I dare you to try this right now. If this, if you're having all these experiences and you just try it, you might have some progress. But most people that I dare and challenge to try this is hard. It, it, it's, it's sort of like picking up a tennis racket for the first time. It's like, good luck playing tennis. <laughs> so we have to practice It, it takes practice. It. And in our mindfulness classes, we do weeks of body scans. Pull up a body scan on, on YouTube where you're just like practicing with your body every day where you're actually trying to like uh, discipline your mind with something physical before you do what I just described with the mind. Because hmm. thoughts are not f- physical. They're, they're harder to relate right. to. That's why in meditation you often relate to a physical object first. You practice and practice and practice practice. And then you're like, okay, now I'm going to practice relating to my thought, just like I did to my breath. So you're practicing <clears throat> with your body, which is the physical part. Yes. You're practicing with your breath first, and then you practice with your yes. thought. So I would recommend, and there are really good, great classes out there called Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, lots of great training. 
if you want to learn how to do this, start with the body and practice. And then you can kind of get good at the, the thinking stuff. But for now, just know it's possible. Know that if you're having thoughts, overwhelming thoughts that are anxious, that are depressing, or that are like craving, we'll, we can get into the romance stuff Craving. Now. Craving oh, yeah. like, oh, I really need this. I need to watch this material. I need to have this experience. <coughs> I, need to, I need to do this thing to have this. Yeah, so so with alcohol addiction, um, there has been a, a, a remarkable healing that comes as people learn how to do this. Okay, I'm have a craving for this stuff. Here's the craving. And instead of just letting it carry you away, you do something called urge surfing. You're just like, okay, there it is. But I, I don't have to like... You're searching for the urges in your body? Well, not searching, you're surfing. You're surfing, so you're surfer, like surfing on top of it. You're like surfing you're on top of it. You don't, you don't have to be controlled by it. You're kind of like navigating it. And, you know, like I work a lot with men struggling with, and women struggling with pornography. And, um, you know, that urge comes to look and feel, and it can be so strong because, like, this is like immediate gratification. It's like immediate high sexually. It's like taking yourself to this sexual transcendence, right? And it, it, it's so easy for people when they're feeling that to just be like, this is what my body is saying. This is like what I need. This is, this is even who I am, right? Mm, like wow. I'm feeling attracted to this kind of person or that person. Or I'm feeling attracted even to... This is who I am and we identify. This is who I am, identify it. And then so it, is it surprising that they, they feel like there's no other way to do it? But it, mindfulness is about freedom. It, it, it says we can choose how we relate to these things, these feelings that come up, even persistently. And people who have used, used pornography over time, they often are going to have persistent, like, draws to the material. And so mindfulness just says, hold on now, hold on. Is that what you want? Is that what you want? And now, now, a word to people who are struggling. I just want to say this. Um... It is possible, even if you're struggling right now with, with a compulsive pattern. And this applies to other compulsive patterns with Oreos and stuff like that. <laughs> with Oreos. But we don't, we don't have social <laughs> prohibitions against Oreos the same way. Maybe we should. Maybe the, maybe the prophet should test our faith. Yeah. <laughs> but I just want to say, if you keep learning, keep growing, keep getting up, keep turning back to God, you will eventually beat this but in my experience um people have to have to have their own experience of falling and then uh, well let me explain this better usually what happens when we fall into a compulsive pattern is we get really mad at ourselves feel really terrible i'm a terrible person imagine you know my wife used to teach a mindful eating class and people would like fall off their diet and it's like, oh, I'm a terrible person because I ate <laughs> the food that I'm not supposed to eat. And then when they're eating right, they're good. When they're eating wrong, they're bad, you know? Yeah. The problem with this, whether it's Oreos or whether it's junk media, is that we, we, we never actually allow ourselves to feel what is going on. So in my wife's mindful eating class, this woman, uh, the assignment, she said, go home and eat whatever you want. Eat whatever you want. No diet. I just want you to feel what you really feel. 
I want you to experience what you're really experiencing. This she goes is home. part of the emotional intelligence is learning to understand what you're feeling in your body. Yes. Yes. So, so, so she goes home and eats a big bag of peanut butter M&M's. It's, it's the forbidden fruit. Mm-hmm. And, of course, she likes how it tastes. But then she lets herself feel. She really lets herself feel. And she comes back to class the next week and tells my wife, I don't think I like peanut butter M&M's as much as I thought, at least not in that amount. And here's the, th- the remarkable thing about it is it wasn't some diet authority that was f- waving his finger at her like, you bad, how dare you? It was her own experience, her own body telling her, you know, I don't think I like, I, I don't think I like how I feel mm-hmm. when I do this. In my experience, that can be a light bulb moment for anyone who's struggling with compulsive patterns. You know what I love about this? I'm going to stop you for just a second. I love because, because, I, because we know that we're divine beings and that we come into the world really with this immense capacity as divine beings. And I, we've talked about this on the podcast before about feeling your feelings and your thoughts are not you know, your thoughts and your feelings are not who you are. But this is putting us back into God's plan, which is we have choice. And as we come to understand and learn about our bodies and learn about these emotions and bring ourselves into that place of, I have authority over me. I get to choose. And this is the information that's coming to me Right, I see you nodding your head, but yeah, mm-hmm. I just feel like this is this is a part of overcoming the deceptive stories out there, and the deception that can be so prevalent in our world to come back to center. Amen to that. That's a really beautifully said, because the stories are seductive. We really like how it sounds to 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 be to to be swept off of our uh, feet in passion. Just like the romance novels say, or you know, like like, or or just have people throwing their clothes off, and rushing at us. You know, like the experience of pornography. It's like um, the naked body. It, it, it kind of signals to the viewer, um, "I will meet your needs. I will be there for you. I will connect to you." So it's like this visceral message, and and just to to complete the thought really quickly. So it's understandable why we're swept away in these stories. Sure. But if if people can let themselves feel what it feels like after they turn to this, right, then they can have the same kind of moment and saying, I don't think I like how this feels. I don't the peace and the connection with other people um, is better. The peace of the Holy Spirit is better than what this brings thing to is me. giving me. Yeah. And, and, and I... I uh, that brings... That, that must take a lot... Well, maybe it depends on the person, but of self-awareness to really be willing. And it's kind of like going back to the mindfulness thing. It takes practice. But to be really be willing to sit with whatever's coming up for you in the moment 
and be present with it and say, this is what I'm really feeling. I've had a similar experience with like the peanut M&Ms <laughs> where I would eat something and I would go, oh, this, the idea of this I like, but this isn't really giving me what I really want because I'm not really getting out of it what I really want. Yeah, exactly. So we, we're learning from our own experience, like Adam and Eve were told, rather than just trying to force ourselves in a certain direction. And I think our own experience can lead us to much greater happiness. Um, so, um, so you were talking about, we were talking about mindfulness and relationships this is relationship to ourself, but I mean, it has such an impact on our relationships, you know. Um, but also in dating um, and this, you know, how can we, like, when we're, when we're trying to, when we're buying into that story, I mean, what's the step, do you think, from that story to the letdown to the oh, yeah, this is is what I want. This is what I want in a relationship. Give me your thoughts on that. You know, in my experience, I was, un, I was almost possessed by that story for a long time in dating. And as I, as I prayed to see the people around me the way God was seeing them, I had a mighty shift that I experienced inside. So that was your prayer, I, to my, be able to see the people around you the way God sees right, them? Right, right. And I'll tell you what, it was so sudden that I started to want to date other people almost immediately that I had no interest in before. Really? It was that quick. Wow. I started to want to ask out, um, I won't say her name, but a gal in the ward who wasn't like look like a celebrity but she was incredible so i call I, I would call this true beauty like there's the beauty so you say she didn't look like a celebrity she didn't look like a celebrity she didn't look like oh, what would we call it you know there's a certain kind of beauty that is held up as this is what it's supposed to be mm-hmm. is what your body is supposed this is to look what like you're gonna fall in love with <clears throat> this, this is, is how what's m- gonna make you happy this is how much of your body you're supposed to show this is the kind of clothes this is the look. This is how your eyebrows need to look. And, you know, it's just like, okay, okay, all right. But what's true beauty? Like, what is... So I would think I started to feel like true beauty is whole-souled beauty, where you're drawn to someone, their heart, mm-hmm. their mind. Mm-hmm. And they're, 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 I'm not just talking about a cute personality. I'm talking about what they love and what they think about and what, like, and I, I, it really was overnight. This sounds strange, but overnight I started to want to date different people. And within a couple of weeks, I was dating my wife. Wow. Like it was, it was so quick. Do you mind telling me how old were you at that time? Yeah, I mean, I had been single for a decade. I got married in my 30s, early 30s. Okay. And uh, I had gone out with my wife uh, earlier, and 
acted just like I described. I didn't call her back because I wasn't feeling it. I wasn't feeling it. What wow. I was supposed to feel, right? <laughs> so when I called her back years years later. This was literally years, years later. So, I, so to back up, what happened was um, I was really praying. To, like, I want to do this your way. Because when you think about the story in the Garden of Eden, um, God put Adam and Eve together. And they were invited to love each other as help meets, which means equal in power. They were a good fit. They were a good fit. It equal, wasn't like equal in power. Yeah. Help meet that. means equal in power. Like they were a good match. It wasn't like, hey, I think he might think she's hot here. <laughs> I think y- 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 she strong, she might you know. think you're a manly man. Yeah. <laughs> they were a good fit. So I actually went back and I I would to answer your question. I I challenge people to go back through everyone you've ever dated or known, even if you haven't dated them. And make a list. I'm not talking about that list that you made as a young woman or young man, but like a list of people that you think were a good match for you. Like, like a good fit. In retrospect. In retrospect. Uh-huh. So they're, 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 who, who knows where they are, but just in retrospect as you walk through your life. And uh, b- by good fit, it's different than I thought they were hot. It's just different. Mm. A good fit is like, ask yourself, like, who did you talk with that you just had the conversation you guys never wanted to stop? It was like a conversation that felt rich and vibrant, right? Uh-huh. Who was that? Anyone. Like, even if you weren't attracted to them physically, put that aside for now. Who, who in your past relationships has felt like that? And, and uh, who have you kind of just resonated with in their life vision and how they think and how they feel? I did that. I put that list together. And my wife was on that list. And I just, I just like, oh, my gosh. Remember that amazing conversation I had with her at this burger place? And I never called her back. What a goof. What a doofus. I call her back, and she's understandably a little irritated to hear from me again. <laughs> so, But it's been years. It's been years. This is not the typical love story. I said, hey, do you want to meet up again? And she's like, yeah, thanks. <laughs> never called me back. But the point is, my mentality shifted Fundamentally, I had a mighty change, and I was on a different track. Wow. I was on a different dating track where I was doing it his way. I was seeking for the gal who was my good match, my helpmeet. And and guess what? I don't think there's just one. I think there's a lot of wonderful people, a lot of wonderful matches. And I, I look back on the caliber of women I dated and and I'm embarrassed that I couldn't see that there were a number of amazing people that we could have had a a wonderful potential but guess what happened our relationships were crushed by that stupid story That, that 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 story destroys relationships it's it's a it's a relationship destroyer you know and so, so, so I'm just gonna go back. I just love this. <laughs> I'm just really loving this. Um, the thing that shifted for you was you started where you changed that story, and it was destroying your vision. It was you were on the wrong track. The thing that got you on the right track 
was praying to see other people the way God sees them. Yeah. Yeah, and he changed my heart. Like, I, I wanted something different. I wanted to see people the way he saw them, and I wanted to relate to them the way he would. You know, I, I wanted to feel what he would have me feel rather than just chasing after that one person that you feel a little physical attraction for. I, I, I lived that way before. That's how a lot of guys are, naturally. Mm-hmm. And maybe even women, I, I, you know, we just kind of like go after the, the one we're physically attracted to. And, and of course, you know, physical attraction can be a, a, a great part of it too. But if we're only chasing that thin slice of experience, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of an impoverished way to go about it. There are lots of couples that wake up after being married to somebody they were physically attracted to and realize, oh my goodness, we're not a good fit at all. Right. We were attracted to each other, but we're like this, you know, so, so kind of like marrying your best friend sort of thing where you're, you're like, look for somebody you're attracted to on the level of whole souled beauty whole sold or you just whole you love their heart mm, i love that. That, that that's a question to ask whose heart do you love around whose, you whose mind do you love forget about what they look like whose heart do you love yeah i love it i love hearing your story of transforming of getting yourself on the right track i mean and not saying that everybody's that's going to be the way it's going to happen for them, but I love that you that God was able to change your heart because you were open and change your thinking so that you could actually be matched with the right person for you. <clears throat> that would, would bring this desired outcome, which is partnership yeah. and an eternal marriage. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> By the way, I, I want to own that the earlier story was my story, too, about pornography. Um, it's such a shameful thing. You know, nobody wants to talk about it. But in our world today, this is, I try to give people some empathy. Mm-hmm. This is, the, this is the how I try to invite empathy. In our world today, imagine you're at home. And someone knocks on your door. And you come to the door, and this attractive person says hey, can I take off my clothes for you right now? And you're like, oh, pff, no. <laughs> right. I, 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 you know, I, I've got these other commitments. I've got things I'm doing. No, thank you. You close the door. A couple minutes later, two people are there knocking on the door like, can we take off our clothes in front of you and make love right, right in front of you? You know, like, we'll come in. This is the world we're growing up in right now. The appeals to our attention all around are like um, visceral. You know, like uh, growing up, children uh, make bids for our attention when they just look at us. Just a single look from a child. They're trying to get our attention. And a child who doesn't get actually the gaze of their parents, it's, it's neglect. It's emotionally hard around us today, just just living in a normal world, there are so many bids for attention that are seductive, that take people down this path. And a part of what has led me to freedom, and, and, and I, what I encourage people is find deeper and deeper freedom, is recognizing for myself that whatever stimulation comes from this kind of media, 
the Holy Spirit and the, the intimacy with real relationships is better. What God can give us in real life, the peace of the Spirit, the love we can feel for each other is better than anything out there. It's better than the best drug. It's better than whatever movies and whatever. So I just, I, I want to like give encouragement to people that are grappling with these things that you can find deeper freedom. And when you do, the peace of the spirit and the love that you feel from other people is even more precious than anything, you know? Yeah. And then something like porn becomes a nuisance. It's like interfering with the life of love and connection and relationship and peace of a disciple. I think that's the path where thousands and thousands of people can find freedom. All the white knuckling sort of like, oh, I really want this, but I can't have it. Oh, this stuff is really good, but we can't have it because we're Christian. It's not going to lead our youth. It's not going to lead our men and our women. By the way, we've had 10,000 women come to our platform for pornography addiction. 10,000. That was actually five years ago. It's probably double. Wow. So the pornography industry has actually targeted women. Yes, it's targeted women. It's made strategic decisions to try to get women involved too. Yeah. So this is a public health issue. And we need to think about it as like something, we need to have compassion and confidence that people can make progress and find freedom. And it's so worth it. It's so worth it. Tomorrow doesn't have to be the same as today. Thank you for saying that. We haven't talked a lot about pornography and those kind of that kind of media on here, um, but but we know that there's a lot of people that are struggling with it, and you know I've worked specifically with betrayal trauma and mostly with women who have been abused in relationships with their partner who it usually starts with porn, yeah. and there's usually abuse that happens with it and. It's definitely, it's a dark path. That's horrible. And it is, um, it's the adversary system. And so I, I really appreciate you being open with your own story and talking about how the gospel and the peace and the spirit is the answer. And true connection is so much sweeter and so much more of what we really want um, than this fake story out there it's another fake story yeah it's almost the the natural extension of the story of romance that says it's all about the body it's all about the look and the attraction it's it just reduces people you know and that's unfortunately i two objects i i unfortunately i think this is how most people date i think we're just looking at bodies and faces and seeing who we're attracted to. people. Yeah, and I just think we don't know any differently. So I almost wish there was like, a, you know, whole soul dating. What does it look like? Well, it's not Tinder. It's not like, ooh, you know, she's hot. He's not. Right. You know. No. Whole like, soul dating. Whole mm. soul. Like, who are the hearts you want to know better? And 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 the minds that you're that you just inspire you. And, and you know, imagine the happiness of couples that are brought together on that basis. And yeah, and, and I actually think the physical attraction spikes even more when you have that appreciation of somebody's core, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, absolutely. If it's just like a cute face, um, I mean, 
I actually think the true depths of passion and, and can, you know, come when hearts are connecting. They said, painted veil. Remember the painted veil. I'm getting uh, <laughs> okay. That, that movie. <laughs> wow. Well, can I say, take, yeah, go ahead. Can I say one more thing about the trauma thing? Yes, please. Um, that is another factor with depression that, um, people who find lasting healing from depression work through trauma. Thank you for saying that. Absolutely. If you haven't, and you've got this thing in the past, whether it's a previous marriage or an early childhood thing or an assault, and you haven't worked through it, you haven't integrated it, and it's it's not just a memory, then it's going to keep living in your life. Yeah, it's going to keep... Yeah, rearing its ugly face. It's going to keep coming up. It's going to draw you to people that are going to reaffirm whatever beliefs came from that pattern. And that's what Bessel van der Kolk says in the book, that actually it's fascinating how it it keeps continuing to be a present part of your life. Just like the Vietnam vet who goes to the fireworks show. If the war trauma hasn't been integrated, he's not just at a fireworks show. When that firework goes off, he's He's back in Nam. Right. He's, he's back in the war. Yeah. And so you're going to constantly bring it into every, you're going to keep bringing it up. And it, and it comes up in traumatic dreams and it comes up in, in relationships. relationships and lashing yeah. out. So only other thing I'd say about trauma is I've been fascinated that two of the best ways to work through trauma are things that you don't even need a therapist for. I know that amazing your body moving your body (laughs) well well, that's good for sure (laughs) and by the way a great trauma therapist that's ethically grounded and committed to respecting your values can be great as well but I'm always looking for the things that don't require sure and number one just having someone listen to your story with compassion witnessing beautiful yeah without like judging you or telling you how to fix it or telling you how you should feel. Finding someone in your life who can hear you out deeply Mm. is healing. Mm -hmm. We should be doing that for neighbors. We should be doing that in the body of Christ. That's something we can do for each other, right? I love that. And number two, having new experiences that are positive, that are not traumatic putting yourself out there, even if it's a little scary with men or with women, you know, like allowing yourself to experience having new experiences that are not traumatic. Too many people think you have to be a therapist to hear somebody's painful story. And I hear stories about people who are like, no, 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 you need to talk to someone, you know, no, let yourself hear people's stories. You don't have to be a therapist. I had one woman saying, I'm just a mother. I'm not a therapist. I'm like, but you're a mother. Mm-hmm. You're the best person, you know. I, I think our community sometimes forgets the power that we have to be there for each to, other. To witness each other's pain. Yeah, and that's to healing. Just, it's that's a, very, very that can healing. Help heal. And then, of course, there are other techniques and stuff right. that can help. But those two things we can do I together. Love that. We can help people have positive experiences and we can listen to each other. Yeah, thank you so much. Wow, this has been just so full. Um. With ideas and just opening, I'm just, you know, sitting here thinking through this. And, Jacob, it's just been wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your perspective, sharing some of your experience, and and giving us some options for how to 
shift and get off an old track, then it's not true off of the, the lies that are out there, the stories that we want to believe so much that aren't true. And getting on a better track. Whole-souled dating is what you said, right? Whole-souled dating. <laughs> yeah. I just want to acknowledge that some of this can feel impossible. Like, I yeah. don't want people to think, that yeah, just go and try harder. And um, if you feel stuck in the romance stuff or relationship or even with depression or addiction, I have found that those first three steps of the 12 steps, they work for almost everything. Mm. I used to run a group called Emotions Anonymous where people would acknowledge I'm stuck emotionally. Yeah. And, but I believe that some uh, God has power to help me and I'm going to turn my entire life over to God. I've also seen relationships uh, with a group called Recovering Couples Anonymous where you can say, I'm stuck. I believe that there is um, a being with power greater than my own and that can get me to the intimacy that I need, like I experienced. And I'm going to turn everything over to God. So if you feel confused and hopeless right now, I just want to leave my witness. God is not confused about your life. He is not hopeless about your dating, about your mental health, about your addiction. He knows exactly what you need. I love it. To find deeper healing, deeper connection, deeper freedom. Turn to the Lord and moment by moment let him guide you. And don't try to figure out everything. Just take the next right step. Yeah, let him one guide step, you. yeah. At one a time. step. Ah, oh, thank you so much, Jacob. That's powerful. Appreciate you leaving us with that. All right, everybody. Until next time, enjoy. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and that it inspired you on your dating journey. Please share this with anyone you think might benefit from what you've heard today and click the button to follow us. You can reach either Sharon or I at datetoyourpotential.com. We work with people who are single or married. We want you to know you are not alone. We support you. We are in this with you.